Oh, good morning. So good to see all of you here today. We have visitors from Africa. Raise your hands. Where are they? Are they here? Ben's back. Sister, she back over here? There you go. I know, you didn't want me to do that. I haven't even really met you yet. I'm Scott. Nice to meet you. Good to see you. I'm excited to get to know you and hear more about your work and visitors from Brazil. And oh, this is a good day. This is a really good day today. I just wanted to start by thanking you continually. You encourage me more than you realize. You know, the attention that I see you pay each other is so encouraging to me. And you do, you hear it in the energy in the mornings, you know, the teens and the college students and the adults and everybody's excited to see one another. And I think it's more than skin deep. So thank you for that. Even on Wednesday morning, I get to teach ladies Bible class and I love, I love this group of women and there's more space available by the way. Um, but I love this group of women because the one thing that they asked me at the very end is, is they said, so, so tell me, how's your wife like in school? And they all, every one of them, lean forward waiting for an answer. I love that because it shows that you care and, and it's more than just a passing conversation. So thank you. And I think people out there outside these walls notice that too. So thank you for encouraging me. Let's begin by prayer today. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this group of people, for their love for one another and their love for you. Lord, thank you for giving us the ability to to express that love. Lord, and in those moments when we fail to know how we can express love for people who have wronged us or hurt us, Lord, your Spirit gives us that ability. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to have ears to hear. Lord, I know this has been a difficult week for some, and the flu and the sickness has been ravaging households, and I pray right now that you would bring peace and well-being to those people. Lord, I pray those of this morning who are struggling, who barely made it here, that you would reward their effort. Lord, for the rest of us who are simply trying to make it through, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a moment where we can stop and sit and enjoy the Word of God this morning. Speak through me, your humble servant. Lord, prove to the world that you cannot be perfect and still be able to speak as if you're speaking from God. We all have the ability. You've given us all that gift and you've allowed us all to be called to speak your word to others. So encourage us in that way this morning too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So for the last several years, uh, before we moved here, I had the privilege of taking Liam to school every morning. And um, on the way, we, we had our little routines. You know, we always had the little, and it wasn't that far, maybe three miles. So it, it always took us maybe 10 minutes just in our little neighborhood. But along the way, we would anticipate seeing the face of one particular person. Um, his name was Mr. Alvin. He was the crossing guard. Um, he was one that always paid attention to you. Always. Smiling, saying hi, waving. You know, as the years progressed, I noticed that every kid seemed had this special connection with Mr. Alvin. And I'll be honest, I did too. You know, I'd see him and I would just pass by him, wave, and I'd pass back by him and I'd, hey, how you doing? How you doing? As you feel this special connection to this guy. Have I ever met him personally once? Did we ever have a deep conversation? Never. 
but I felt a special connection with him. You know in the morning when you're trying just to get through, just trying to make it, you're trying to get to work, you're not really thinking about others, you're just trying to wake up. Honestly, your day doesn't really, you hope it's not going to turn out to be awful. That's really all you're thinking about. In those self-centered moments, you need somebody to help reorient you to your purpose in life. And Mr. Alvin did that for me in those small, unassuming ways. I know what you're saying. All crossing guards do that, but I'm here to say, no, they don't. Some are downright mean. Maybe it's because I speed a little, but I will say... What Mr. Alvin did was rare. It was rare. He took his job very seriously. And he was serious about making sure that people felt noticed, adults included. So Mr. Alvin, he knew how to do more than simply show up and go to work. He knew how to work in a way that everybody felt noticed and better. That's a different kind of work. We've been talking about what it means to live differently. So turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. We're going to be in Titus chapter 2 this morning. We're going to spend a little time in this text. So Paul, if you remember, is instructing Titus on how to help this young Cretan church grow in Christ. He told them, find leaders who are already leading. Find the ones who are already um, you know, standing out. The people that are already living differently. You know, it's not really helpful to find a person, identify them as a leader, and then try to teach them how to lead. That doesn't really work that well. No, find the ones who are already standing out, the ones who are already taking their lives seriously, living with integrity, the ones who are already loving others. Find these leaders, and you'll find the future of the church. I believe that's what he's kind of telling Paul here. So uh, he continues this in chapter 2. Let's start the very beginning. He says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent, in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. uh, Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. What I like about this little letter of Paul is that he gets right to the point. He says, find some leaders, let them lead, and then teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Now, I like that as soon as he says, teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine, he doesn't list all these theological debates or theological issues and try to explain, you know, all the ancient sanctifications, you know, all that stuff. Instead, what he does is he associates sound doctrine with how these people should live. 
rather than focusing on what they should know. Which brings me to a very interesting revelation that I've had the last few years. So have you ever wondered where your worldview came from? You ever wondered how, um, what, the way that you see the world, where did that come from? Now you would probably say it comes from my experiences, my, my home, where I grew up, and I would say yes, that's probably right to all of that. But as simply as I can say it, I think our Western worldview has been handed down to us by that world-conquering Greek, Alexander. Now you know about Hellenism, you know about how he kind of swept across the world and Greek was taught. Uh, Hebrews, they did not really see the world like the Greeks do. They have a different, different mindset. Um, from, from, from our Greek forerunners, we've got, you know, Plato, Aristotle, uh, Socrates. These people, they had this ideology that, that the, the, the fed mind, the more you feed the mind, the more you free the mind. You know, the knowledge is key and, and you know, life is knowledge. And, and it didn't really matter what you did with the knowledge, you know, share it, pass it along, great. But it was the gathering and understanding of it that really drove a lot of these men. So the Greeks were more about knowing, but the Hebrew mindset, it's it's a little different. The Hebrew mindset was more about doing. So author William Barrett has this book called The Irrational Man. He says this, right conduct is the ultimate concern of the Hebrew. Right thinking, that of the Greek. Duty and strictness of conscience are the paramount things in life for the Hebrew. For the Greek, it's a spontaneous and luminous play of the intelligence The Hebrew, thus, extols moral virtues as the substance and meaning of life. The Greek, they subordinate them to intellectual virtues. The contrast is between practice and theory, between the moral man and the theoretical or intellectual man. Okay, so let me bring this down a little bit. Um, I was talking with Jake and we were talking about some things that we usually say and he he mentions Reed you know and and Reed's funny he's great and there is one thing that that I've thought this too whenever we address somebody's spiritual life we tend to shift gears a little bit don't we we don't associate it with our everyday walking around, eating, drinking, thinking, breathing, doing all that other stuff life. We don't, we don't usually think of our spiritual life and our normal life as the same. It's almost like our spiritual life is a different part of our life. So when someone asks us how we're doing spiritually, we have to stop, shift gears, and, and then we respond with a little higher language. You know, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you spiritually? Oh, right? We do that. How are you spiritually? Okay, so, so today I'm going to make a bold statement. Our life and our spiritual life, there is no difference. Okay, our life is our life and it's all spiritual. I'm, it's bold. If you, have, if, you, if you disagree, talk to me afterwards. I love the conversation. Our life and our spiritual life are one and the same. I'm coming to believe that this Jewish mindset on that particular issue is correct. If we knew it, we would do it. If we don't do it, then we probably don't know it. Are we going to live out our faith practically or theoretically? So Paul mentions this. He mentions sound doctrine that they theoretically know in verse 1. You know, he, he, he mentions this sound doctrine. And then he goes on to tell them how they should practically live it out. 
You know, knowledge is important, but we were never supposed to stop there. Jerry Seinfeld has this uh, great, it's a series called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. I love it because he's talking about the crafting of comedy. And one thing that he does is he talks about transition jokes. Some people, they make a joke, but it was never meant to be a full joke. It's just a transition. But that's where they stop. Because you know what? It's easy to stop with the transition. It takes a lot of work to actually go a little farther and be funnier. And I know a lot of you are like, but it's all funny. And it's not really. There's some easy jokes. But those people that we remember, they've taken time. So what I find about knowledge is it's similar. We think, I used to think knowledge was where we were supposed to end. No, that's just where we are really beginning. The knowledge is supposed to lead us somewhere. Supposed to help our life begin to do what we know. And this is what I believe with all my heart. The way we live will communicate what we believe. The deepest part of ourself. If you want to let other people know about the gospel, and if you want to share your faith, I think you have to have more than information. I mean, a newspaper in and of itself is not going to change our life. That's filled with news and information. Your life has to prove that what you believe is true. Oh, this is, I'm preaching to myself, by the way. Paul continues in verse 9, and and he says, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, uh, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. He's encouraging slaves to live out their faith in the midst of their life. Notice I didn't say work for them, because for them, their life was work. It was a social class that they were born into. It's a hard, difficult social system, and they had very little recourse if anything um, if they were treated poorly so Paul's saying he's not saying slavery is okay but it was common and and he spoke against slavery and and he would go to speak on against it and in Philemon we saw we see it there but what we see is Paul's thinking higher and deeper he's thinking in your life in your work live out your faith so that, imagine that, masters who have absolutely nothing to envy from slaves. <laughs> if these slaves were to live out their faith, the masters would look at them and go, huh, they have something I want. Talk about an upside down world and faith. How powerful is it when learning and doing are tied together? So let's think deep for just deeper for just a moment. If knowing and doing are tied together, then, then what does that mean for us right here, right now? Okay, so let me do what Paul did and get right into it. I think he's not necessarily talking about what we do every Sunday. We all know that. So let's think bigger for a moment. How much of our knowing and doing do we bring into our everyday, busy, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week life? How much of our faith do we bring to the office? or to school to work to meetings with people how much of that faith do we bring to the gym or do we bring to the coffee shop or to the ballpark even whenever our team isn't doing so well how is our knowledge acted out when we put on our uniform 
or when we drive on our usual route home. You know, between 8 and 6 every day or whenever it is you're working. Some of you work all the time. Are we intent in living in such a way that no one can malign the Word of God? Are we intent in living um, such focused lives where we're sharing God with others so that those who oppose us may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us? And I know that a lot of us are in a difficult job environment. I've been told that, that it's difficult for some to talk about Jesus at work. And I understand that. I know it's scary. But I also know that if we want to talk about something, we'll find a way to do it. And if you're trying to find a way in, pray. And I guarantee you, God will open a door. But I'm not, I'm talking more about working differently. Living a life that's proof of what you believe in the midst of your work. You know, a lot of times we look at work as something that's separate and apart from our spiritual life. You know, we've worked hard to get where we are. We've done a lot of things to get there. And you know, we're, we're doing this. It's difficult. There's nothing really spiritual about it. It's a way to make money. It's a way to do what I love. But even though I may love it, it doesn't mean I have to like it all the time. I'm thinking about this and this. It's hard for me to think about God. And it's hard for me to think about helping people. I understand that. But I wonder, could we, instead of looking at our work as something we have to get through in order to get what we want, what if we got to this point where we, where we started to think that, it's, that our life is less about the work we do within our life and more about the life we live within our work? What if I were to say that no matter what you did, whether you loved it or not, you could make a difference. Even if you're in a passionless job where you don't think you were going to stay, what if I told you in your last month or weeks or whatever, you could find purpose in that work? I tell you, it's all about what we choose to do. Colossians talks about doing everything to the glory of God, whether you eat or drink, whatever it is, do it to the glory of God. First Peter chapter four talks about, you know, what, what we're doing, doing it as if we're doing it for God. If we speak, speak as if we're speaking the very words of God. What if today we decided that our work was going to be more? And instead of seeing work as a means to an end, what if we began to look at it as an opportunity to show others what it is we actually believed at the deepest level of our life? So think with me for just a moment. Most of us will never be ministers at work, at a church, will never, probably never happen. Most of us will probably spend our lives working alongside people uh, each and every day. Some of these people may never go to church. Some of these people may never have thought they would ever step back a foot in church. But I think you are right next to people each and every day who need to see real examples of what it means to love and to forgive and to be self-controlled and temperate and and they need to see somebody focused on doing good good for others you know whether they're coworkers or friends or acquaintances i think god has placed you in a particular place at a particular time with a particular group of people so that you can shine brightly 
I will never be able to reach the people you can reach on a daily basis, ever. I will never be able to have the same influence you have on these people, ever. God has allowed you the opportunity to make a real difference. And He is giving you the opportunity to pay attention. To make somebody feel noticed. To show love even whenever people do poorly. To live well. To shine brightly. He's given you gifts to use. He's put you there to show others how to work with integrity. He's put you there to show others how to love and to work as if you're working for God himself. Sometimes I underestimate what, what God can do. So I'm going to encourage you, don't make that mistake. Don't underestimate what God can do through you in the place where you live, breathe, work, and play. Believe it or not, I think people are already noticing. They're already looking at you the way you work. They're listening to the things that you say. They're watching the things that you do. And they're looking to see if your knowing and your doing are the same. So my question is, what will your work, what will the life you live within your work show them? And if you already feel, uh-oh, I've made a huge mistake, <laughs> I want to encourage you, every passing moment is another chance to turn it all around. That's what the grace of God is for. He knows we are not perfect. If we were, we wouldn't need him. The grace of God gives us opportunity after opportunity. His patience is there to help us along each and every day. So I'm going to encourage you. Live as if though what you believed were true. But the deepest part of Embrace where God has put you for the moment and work differently because people need to see. <laughs> people need to see faith lived out everywhere. So that's my question. How will you choose to live this week? How will you choose to work this week? And how will you choose the next few moments? I would love to pray with you today. If you need me to pray, I'll be right here. If you want to pray for me, I need it. In a moment, we're going to have a baptism, I, I believe. So don't go anywhere. How will you respond today? Let's stand together and let's sing.